0: I'm Scott Lucas. This is World Unfiltered. Joe Biden, the 46th president of the United States, said at his inauguration and was repeated it often, America is back. Anthony Blinken in a major speech earlier this month as new secretary of state, talked about renewing American strength to meet the challenges and seize the opportunities of our times. But what do these statements mean At what has been a turbulent few years, I think almost everybody agrees, a turbulent time for America inside in the Trump era and a turbulent time for the world outside in part because of the Trump era, but a number of other tensions, what is America is back? And should we be thinking of America is back first and foremost, or looking at the world first rather than America leading? Well, I'm privileged today to talk to someone who has given consideration to these issues, not just in the past few months or few years, but for the past couple of decades, and has done so in a time span which goes all the way back to the 18th century. Uh, Professor G. John Eikenberry is professor of politics and international affairs at Princeton University. He, however, has not only worked with the term the liberal international order, He and his co-author, Daniel Dobney, coined it in 1999. And liberal international order is at the heart of three books that Professor Eikenberry has written. After Victory in 2001, that seminal moment between Victory over the Soviet Union, but then just before 9-11. Liberal Leviathan in 2011, at a time when America was in the Obama era, But the rest of the world, or a large part of it, we're looking at China and Russia and the Arab Spring. And then A World Safe for Democracy, his most recent book, which came out a few months ago, which takes on the question not only of liberal international order, but its relevance and its possibilities in 2021. Professor Eikenberry, or John, if I may, welcome to World Unfiltered. Thank you, Scott. It's great to be here. I know you've done a lot of interviews, well-merited, around a great book, but I thought if you could start with with our folks today, our viewers, just with that simple explanation for us as sort of newcomers, what is this liberal international order? And is it the same in 2021 as it was in 1999 when you coined the term?
1: Thank you, Scott, it's great to be here. And uh, that's a great way to start the conversation. Um, I, I, in this new book, and in thinking about a liberal international order, I, I always take the long view. I'm, I'm interested not in just this moment or even the period since the end of the Cold War, but uh, what have uh, the countries that have tied themselves to liberal international order in one way or another, what, what are they trying to do? What is the nature of the project? And here, I, my first observation is simply that, that that liberal international order is the outcome of activities that liberal democracies have engaged in over the last two centuries to try to create a a world for themselves uh, and for, in some ways, the the wider system. Um, So liberal international order is a, is a, a kind of environment, you might think of it that, or an ecosystem, a kind of set of rules and institutions that liberal democracies have seen to be have seemed to think uh, um, creates more stability and, and uh, possibilities for advancement. It's, it's really uh, useful to think less about specific institutions and moments in history and, and think about the broader liberal international vision. It's, it's one uh, that uh, has evolved certainly over the 19th and 20th century and into today, but it has certain core convictions that an open system that trade and exchange is good, properly managed, that institutions, multilateral institutions, facilitate cooperation, Uh, that thirdly, liberal democracies are unusually capable of driving cooperation. They have special reasons why they would cooperate, capacities to cooperate, and values they want to ensure that can only be uh, ensured through cooperation. And then finally, the fourth, uh, you might say, conviction behind liberal international order is that in a world of rising economic and security and environmental interdependence, uh, we can only be safe together. We can't be safe alone, that, that we are tied uh, uh, inescapably to each other. Think about the pandemic today. And so we are uh, through necessity really uh, impelled to create uh, a system that will allow us through cooperative organization of the rules and institutions uh, provide safeguards and governance mechanisms so that we can, we can survive and protect our values. Now, some of that is a, an agenda that really is specific to liberal democracies. But a lot of it is, of course, more global. It's almost a universal aspiration that if we as a globe, as a planet, are to survive, we are going to need to up our game. We are going to need to create better habits of cooperation, rules and frameworks. So. I think um, my first answer to your question is the, the impulses and convictions are the best way to define uh, liberal international order. It's specific outcomes, uh, uh, mo- historical moments have, have varied across time. I, I've argued in, uh, in, in my earlier work that uh, after 1945, there was this kind of golden age of, of cooperation among the democracies. After the Cold War, it became more of a global project with a great deal of turbulence and, and uh, in, in the end uh, failure or, or shortcomings, but that um, despite all the crises and shortcomings, there is something um, uh, vital and profound uh, in the liberal international vision that remains important for, for
0: today. Okay, well, let's start then with that normative as it were what is it that is vital, even essential in what you would call a liberal international order, which goes beyond the vital and essential for someone in America or Western Europe, or even beyond someone who is in a liberal democracy uh, at this moment in time?
1: Yeah, I I do start with liberal democracies and think about this, again, the long view to start. uh, Mm. um, 200 years ago, there really weren't liberal democracies. It really uh, began uh, about that time in the in the age of democratic revolutions but before that the world had been really populated by empires and monarchies and autocratic states and 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 so forth and then there emerged what what you might call the liberal ascendancy the, the first countries that that really offered a new type of polity a we the people kind of grounded in a different kind of uh, values and, and and forms of order uh, indeed uh, profoundly imperfect but but there they were. They were populating the larger system, and uh, in some sense, uh, those uh, polities, those liberal democracies, were in some sense fragile or or or, or vulnerable to to uh, to to geopolitics and to the various uh, forces of interdependence, and have had all along this kind of um, uh, underlying need for creating a kind of. Uh, as I said before, an ecosystem, a kind of framework of order that would allow these uh, open societies based on the rule of law and civil society, limited state constitutions, uh, uh, these these republics as they were called in the old days, that they are very much vulnerable to the, the storms and tsunamis of geopolitics. And so creating a stable ecosystem or to change metaphors uh, liberal democracies are, are not as our friends in the realist uh, theoretical tradition say, are billiard balls on a pool table, but are really eggs, uh, they're more fragile. And so liberal international order is is in effect the task of building egg cartons or what uh, the British call egg boxes to put our, our, our eggs in so they don't crack. And so that uh, building Egg boxes has that task has changed across the eras as the circumstances and geopolitical forces, the rise and fall of of Anglo-American hegemony, and all the other forces that have shaped the modern world. But it's it's the it's the underlying need that liberal democracies have that they they're in it together that they can't simply exist as an island. Uh, uh, they, they will hang together or they, were, they will hang separately as Ben Franklin uh, said said uh, in 1776.
0: Yeah, as you sort of noted there, this notion of liberal international order, both historically and arguably even up to today is still associated with only a part of the world. I mean, it's only associated primarily with Western European uh, thought systems, US thought, systems. There's a lot of the world that could argue, look, we have other conceptions of polity and community and interaction that isn't part of that historical trajectory. How do you get across from your historical read of the U.S. and Western Europe to something which is universal or which interacts with conceptions that have been developing at the same time in other parts of the world?
1: Yeah, that's a, a fundamental question. And it's a complex question. Uh, and I'll make two observations. First, liberal internationalism, in some sense, is a is a, a kind of project to build on top of a world based on on the nation state or the Westphalian system. So in the 19th century, liberal democracies were both uh, committed inside of the West to the nation state, but were very much imperial states uh, beyond uh, the West. Uh, so that's, that's a, absolutely the case. But, but through the 20th century, liberal internationalism became a project of intergovernmental cooperation as I've been describing it uh, today. And uh, uh, that has built on a kind of more universal understanding of, of, of peoples and societies Uh, um, uh, organized around self-rule and self-determination. So the great icon of liberal internationalism, Woodrow Wilson, uh, 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 staked the flag of the liberal vision on self-determination. In his view, I think historians say it wasn't necessarily full sovereignty, but that people themselves would decide what kind of system they lived in. So that foundational commitment provides a kind of opportunity for universalism. That is to say that people outside of the West can seize upon principles of order that liberal states have to some extent uh, either uh, through their own vision or reluctantly through circumstance uh, agreed to be the basic building blocks of world order. But so that's the first point that, that uh, liberal internationalism itself uh, has as a kind of ontology, a kind of understanding of what we build order on top of, um, a, a sense of, 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 of units uh, that are self-driven. But on top of that, and this is where the liberal project does become more exclusive. It, it's, it, it is saying on top of that foundation of self-determin- self-determined Westphalian uh, sovereign states, those that are liberal democracies do have certain uh, 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 values they want to protect and, and, uh, and want to create, a, you might call it a, a higher level order. Think of the EU. It wants to not just be an anarchy, not just be a, a balance of power system of autonomous states that, yes, they're sovereign. Yes, the people are, are, are the, the ultimate arbiters of sovereignty more than that the, the, what we call in international relations the social purposes of an order uh are are, are, are determined to be uh, greater than that we want to uh trade we want to protect human rights we want to develop protocols relating to the environment or labor standards um uh, various human rights so that is not a universal project at least not now because there are many states think of china today that doesn't want to, to build an international order around liberal democracy. So it is it does mean that the road parts at that moment and liberal democracies are on their own. and that. But my final point is that doesn't mean it has to be a Western project because in many ways the, the most fervent believers in a liberal international order today are not Western states. Many of Western states are actually uh, retrograde democracies. Think of of, of Hungary and Poland and in America in its own Trumpian form. Think of South Korea or Japan, uh, uh, countries that are in some sense, deeply tied to an open international order that have uh, made uh, profound commitments to, 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 to their own at home uh, brand of, of liberal democracy. So, so uh, it's, it's not universal because liberal democracy is, is is not universal, but it's not Western because liberal democracy is not fundamentally a Western value that only Western Westerners can embrace.
0: Let's pick up on that. That's a really interesting tension between what you've referred to as inclusion or let's say the universal versus the fact that there was exclusion. So as a historian, if we look at the Cold War period, Is the liberal international order really international when many peoples and communities are not part of it? And I'm not really referring to the standard line you probably get here about the Soviet Union and China about the idea that there's two bounded orders against each other. I'm really thinking about many peoples and communities in Africa, in the Middle East, in in South America, and in parts of Asia that really aren't part of the liberal international order project. I mean, isn't it primarily the liberal international order u.s western european order and japan and to an extent south korea
1: i think in one at one level it is it is very much like that and it's it's driven by by uh the more powerful states that are committed to a certain kind of order so it it is self-interested it's a any kind of international order, including any that an aspiring African state might want to create regionally or globally, will in some sense be driven by what powerful actors in the world are willing to support. So in some sense, we all live in a power political world and any order we want or any order we're trying to explain will bring us back to power. And so uh, uh, the United States did not after World War II and after the Cold War uh, in, in any way uh, have a kind of idealist view that we, we have the secrets to, uh, to international order. We're gonna share them with the world. And if you become like us, you can, you can be inside of our, our walled garden of liberalism. That, that's, it, it, it is a much more self-interested view about how to build an order that will allow us to uh, have an open society inside of an open system and that's a, a very demanding kind of order and open societies, that is to say, built around rule of law, freedoms of the various sorts, uh, constitutional democracy, uh, free press, all these sorts of things you associate with uh, the kind of the, the idealized uh, open, uh, uh, open systems, open polities. But you want to have that kind of polity in an, in an order that is itself uh, as open as it can be. And so that I think that is a, a a very demanding kind of order. It's not one that necessarily leads directly to uh, to to sort of the gates that open up and anybody who wants to can walk in. There is a kind of conditionality to it. That to be inside is to make commitments to certain uh, uh, rights and responsibilities. Uh, again, think of the EU as a, a kind of more advanced version of liberal order it's kind of the intensification of it inside of europe and not everybody who wants to not anybody who wants to can join the eu there's a kind of conditionality to it and uh there is a kind of understanding that to be inside of it you get certain benefits but there are certain obligations so i i would say to kind of i think you're asking for 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 a response a little bit beyond what i just said and, and this is what i would would say to to non-western states that look like they're on the outside looking in and i think that's one of the great um uh, uh unfinished uh pro- aspects of the project uh, to 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 share the fruits of of liberal modernity to 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 to, to spread to spread the, the system wide widely. Uh, uh, China selectively tied itself to it and it had the best two decades of any country in the world. Uh, China had its best decades in two millennia as it encountered, engaged and selectively integrated into this liberal order. So it wasn't simply the West uh, sitting on their laurels getting rich, in many ways it was the rich losing their advantage to a, to a rising state that didn't quite accept all the uh, logic of conditionality. So, so in some sense, it's, 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 it's a story of, 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 of inclusion to some extent at the expense of, uh, of, of shared commitment to ensuring that the order remains, uh, remains uh, tied to its core principles. So it's, 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 um, it's a mixed picture, I think.
0: I bring that China uh, conundrum, if you will, is very interesting, I wanna to get to that. But just one more question on that Cold War period. It's, I guess even beyond inclusion versus exclusion, I'm still wondering for much of the world whether liberal international order undercuts itself in terms of its rhetoric, even in terms of its values with an our way or the highway approach. And I think you have referred, you've acknowledged the crude, as it were, crude imperial behavior during this period. So I know you'll know these, but just for the sake of listeners, if I go off and start checking off, for example, Syria 1949, Iran 1953, Guatemala 54, uh, Egypt 56, uh, Guyana in the 1960s, Chile 1970, you see where I'm going with this.
1: Absolutely, and I, everything, I, I think it's important to note that everything that powerful states, whether they're powerful Western states, the US, Britain, France, Germany, Italy, uh, or powerful non-Western states, China, India, uh, um, uh, other states that, that, that are in the system, historically have been in the system uh, of international relations, have done all sorts of things. Uh, empire was not invented uh, during the liberal era, the 19th and 20th century, and uh, the, the the most uh, violent and and, and crudest uh, empires go all the way back to the Assyrian empire of the of the of the Bronze Age uh, and onward. So I don't think we can pin the, the crude behavior simply on these states: intervention, imperialism, oppression, uh, a military occupation has, has, has come in all varieties across the eras. And it's, secondly, it's important that not everything that the United States has done in the Cold War period or after has been bec- because of liberal, uh, liberal order. Uh, in some ways, uh, you, it's, it's precisely liberal international order that sets out uh, unrealized principles that provide the measuring stick for failure for Guatemala, for uh, Iran, for Syria, so it's uh, it's 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 the if if I am to make the case for liberal international order in the in the face of all of these uh, regressions, transgressions, oppressions, that again are not all traced to liberalism doing its thing. They're really great powers doing their thing, which they've always done despite liberalism. So so if you uh, allow me that caveat. Uh, it's true that liberal international orders then still, at the end of the day, provides, uh, however flawed it might be, a platform or a space for peoples and societies to, uh, to mobilize themselves uh, to, to make the system more fully meet its, the, the principles that, w- that were at its foundation. So, so uh, the lib- liberal democracy itself and liberal international order are unfinished unfinished projects Uh, think of the american system slavery uh was the was the um was a you know kind of the 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 at the very founding the the original the original crime really of the american founding was was slavery and yet uh the institutions of the system provided a basis for 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 a more perfect union, uh, a, a kind of evolution towards towards uh, more inclusion, uh, more and more realizing of 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 of, of, of participation and values. Uh, so, uh, it, it, there is a kind of choice that you, if you are living outside of the West, looking at this deeply flawed, imperfect liberal experience, what do you do? One view is. Uh, there's something here in the principles that are in COate that we want to get into and help use to advance a larger global, enlightened project uh, of inclusion, of advancement, of liberation, uh, of freedom, uh, of independence. Or you that's one, one view. A second view is, you know, it's flawed, it's, its DNA is flawed, that liberal order is fundamentally racist, imperial, exclusive, and Western. So uh, there's nothing that can be really reformed sufficiently to, to save it. So that's a choice. You kind of, those are two, two critiques. And I, I, I think those critiques will always be there. I, I, and they've been there for for decades indeed centuries and um i think we the, we we are we are destined to wrestle with that with that
0: choice well let me get to then when you coin the term liberal international order or as again with daniel davie coin it in 1999 you then write the book in 2001 to follow this up and you say okay we're close to the liberal moment at this point so it's like okay we've made that choice we haven't rejected the liberal international order for all the flawed means that have been pursued for it. Instead, we have embraced what it's trying to achieve and look at here we are in 2001. But is the post-Cold War world of the 90s really that stable? Again, beyond a framework of Western Europe, perhaps expanding now into Central and Eastern Europe and the United States. Do you really have that liberal stability when you look at what is happening with Africa? name check Rwanda, Somalia, for example, when you talk about even within Europe, the Balkans cases, and of course, when you talk about those ongoing questions, those tensions, a lot of which is centered in the headlines around Iraq in the 1990s. In other words, is there possibly an illusory idea that we are close to the liberal moment?
1: Yes, uh, and indeed, in this most recent book, I, I, I reflect on, on that kind of crisis of the post-Cold War uh, world order that the kind of globalization of the liberal order the, the inside order of the of liberal liberal democratic uh, capitalist order that was part of the a glo- global system after the cold war became the in some sense the only platform for order globally after the cold war uh, not necessarily because it was perfect or everybody wanted it but there wasn't any other game in town uh, uh russia was Enfeebled and, and China hadn't begun its, its great march to, to superpower economic status. And so there was kind of this, the spread effect. And the US certainly was overly um, a kind of self satisfied that, that somehow we're doing the right thing here. We're sharing the liberal moment. Uh, the Berlin Wall came down. Uh, Leonard Bernstein. Um, and the Berlin Philharmonic played Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, "Ode to Joy," on the, the rubble of the uh, smashed-down Berlin Wall. There was this kind of sense that of, of liberation that this uh, that uh, a, a kind of uh, oppressive system has been been smashed, and we now have the liberal liberalisms and liberal democracies, liberationist. Side again, there are many sides to it, but that side showed itself momentarily, at least, Um, and and people uh, everywhere were, in some sense, uh, looking for what what can how can this be how can we we take take advantage of this moment to advance our own uh, our own uh, uh, national prospects. But I argue in the book that the the seeds for crisis were were planted at that moment uh, because. The, the, the logic of order, of liberal order, was based on this notion of, of conditionality. To be inside was to, to be working within a kind of higher order uh, system with social purposes that we all share and we're going to commit ourselves to, to be a part of. After the Cold War ended, when everybody who was liberal, democratic, w- was celebrating the, the system was, was expanding outward and its logic was deteriorating. The logic of conditionality, uh, there was a kind of, a, a kind of rush to, to get what you can, um, to spread as much as you can. And it lost its kind of underlying governance logic. It's, it was a, what I call a Carl Polanyi moment when the, the mobilization of the global system overran, the, the political foundations that could manage it. And we're still in that, in that moment, we haven't really picked up the pieces and figured out, should we, just, uh, should we sh- just kind of trash liberal order altogether and go for a global system that isn't liberal, that includes Russia and China, and we go kind of to uh, lowest common denominator and hope that that's good for all the countries in between, or do we try to salvage something of the liberal vision because there was something there that worked and that's, that's where we are today.
0: That's, that's really interesting. I guess it, I, I get this sense that almost at a personal level as well as a scholar, that you're, you know, you're fighting this valiant fight for the liberal international order in 2021. But I wanna go back even, I wanna go back before Trump like you do, go well back from, and just put this to you. Um, we saw the seeds a little bit of what you're talking about, even in 1999, with the system outrunning itself with the anti globalization uh, movement at Seattle in that year, for example, as a marker of it. But I really want to put it to you that the idea of a US liber- led liberal international order was buried once and for all in 2003 with the Iraq War. That, as much as you might have good intentions and others might have good intentions for a US led liberal international order, that ill fated operation to establish an American hegemony, preponderance of power which I wouldn't consider liberal no. that that basically ruined it for you all the way up to now yeah
1: I, I think uh, I think there are two uh, two or three kind of moments of, of kind of uh, ruin it, r- ruining moments that's the first one that's for sure and let's talk about Iraq you know as I was as a liberal internationalist in 2003. And in, in the fall of 2002, um, uh, uh, writing pieces uh, arguing that this is a huge mistake, uh, uh, and uh, I have a famous article in Foreign Affairs, America's Neo Imperial Ambition. So I was critiquing this so-called neoconservative view, view which I saw as a as a transgression from a kind of liberal vision of order, and and indeed uh, you've heard me debate John Mearsheimer, who who, 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 lay, who pins uh, the Iraq war on liberals. And, and that's just fundamentally wrong. It's, it's, it's deeply flawed. It's, it's simply not historically true. The, the architects of the war, uh, Ch- uh, uh, Vice President Cheney, Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld, were many things, but they were not liberal internationalists. And the war makes more sense to a realist like Mearsheimer. It was a war to protect American hegemony in the Middle East. Saddam Hussein in Iraq, uh, with the the possibility of a a nuclear uh, weapon, uh, posed a a challenge to American Middle Eastern hegemony. Mearsheimer is the grand theorist of regional hegemony. He, He tells us that powerful states, regardless of what they look like, liberal, illiberal, communist, capitalist, will care about maintaining their hegemony in regions that they care about. So that's a logic, that's a realist logic that was not, in my view, was not brought under restraint by the liberal logic. So we did fail, the liberal international order failed, but it failed because it didn't restrain America. Uh, but its impulse was not a liberal impulse. The the other, uh, so I pin uh, the, the, the Iraq war uh, on, an aspect of American thinking that resides on the realist side of the the big international relations tree. It's not part of a branch or stem of the liberal uh, part of the the international relations tree. The other great uh, failing was the 2008 financial crisis, which revealed that the liberal order had in some sense been hollowed out, been decimated by what we often call neoliberalism, a kind of uh, 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 falling away of all the kinds of commitments to social democracy, to equality, to uh, economic security that, that had for one reason or another been built up during the earlier period, what we call embedded liberalism, the embeddedness of liberalism and a wider system, domestic and international of, of, of supports and safety nets and, uh, and protective uh, institutions all of that kind of gave way, and people, primarily in the West, who had been middle-class uh, citizens who had benefited from the earlier period, they now were not benefiting. They were their their incomes were stagnant. Uh, the the and 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 it wasn't really helping a lot of the world. Uh, China was benefiting uh, the very rich of the very rich. The top one percent was. Incredib- becoming incredibly rich. And so the whole, for me, that's as important as the Iraq war, both of these two uh, disasters really um, uh, uh, showed the liberal order to be, to be uh, 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 failing, uh, deeply failing and uh, uh, we're sort of at that moment where, where it had to be rethought, it had to be uh, rebuilt, uh, it had to be uh, redefended. Uh, so I think that's where we're at. And I think you're absolutely right. The Iraq war was a huge, a huge moment. And many, many people in the American left, the, 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 the American left who had been very much champions of, of America's w- role in the world as, as, as a champion of, of a, a multilateral order, uh, uh foreign aid, uh, reciprocal economic uh, trade negotiations, uh, a, a kind of notion of all states and all boats rise together. Uh, that, uh, that view of America changed, I think, for many on the left and certainly around the world uh, when the Iraq war unfolded.
0: You're preaching to the converted on both those two cases. Uh, let me add a third to test out with you isn't there a failure or is there a failure of the liberal international order around the so-called Arab spring in 2010, 2011, Um, initially from a pragmatic level because of the notion that you lead from behind, which runs a little bit counter to the American message, which we had all the way up to this point. And then secondly, of course, because we see the course of those movements, those risings that are calling for reforms and rights, which could be tied into part of this wider historical narrative you talk about, and then they fail or quite often they are suppressed in Syria, in Yemen, in Bahrain, not because the U.S. is present, but because it's absent. That the failure to protect civilians is what many people outside the U.S. and Western Europe will have seen in this decade that we've gone through.
1: Yeah, that's a a great point, Scott. Uh, I think think Syria was a disaster. I think uh, people in the Obama the veterans of the Obama administration, uh, I think, would privately say of all the things that that we failed to understand was the Middle East. Uh, we we did some good things: uh, the the nuclear security summits, the the various efforts to 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 work on climate change, and even to engage China. Although that too hasn't necessarily turned out as they had hoped, but uh, the, the the it was the the. the the Syria, there's a moral issue there that's particularly poignant. And um, I think, you know, it is a kind of on the one hand, on the other hand, uh, the US and the other Western democracies did in the post Cold War period, ratchet up the, the expectations of the global order that we are now not simply going to be a, a, a an old United Nations centered uh, Westphalian system, but we are going to make make as our purpose uh the the collective effort to protect citizens from their own their own governments from from genocide um uh we're going to learn the lesson of rwanda Uh, we're going to uh elaborate an idea called responsibility to protect so we're going to 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 try to build a, a more perfect international order one that is more responsive to humans inside of states and not simply uh, maintaining the balance between states and let governments do as they will inside of their country. It was controversial, but it was, I would say, built on the kind of searing experiences of the Balkans and, uh, and genocide in Africa. But you kind of put it out there and you didn't fully uh, establish a capacity to, to make good on it. And you realize, you kind of uh, put yourself in a position where you you are are confronted with tragic choices, do you intervene and undermine your own position uh, at home because your own people don't want you to be doing this? Uh, you're worried about another Iraq, uh, or uh, do you jump right in and try to to save people? And I I just I I think you put your finger on these classic dilemmas uh, that are at the heart of a liberal international order. Think about liberal uh, internationalism uh, as a as a kind of vision. You are trying to protect values that are fundamentally in contradiction, or at least in tension, with each other: liberty and equality, sovereignty and uh, 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 intervention, uh, 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 individualism and community. Uh, you, you your liberalism is this kind of always this 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 vision that will always disappoint you because it's built around balancing between differences that if you get more of one, you get less of the other. And so you're destined to, to, never, be, uh, to never be happy in some sense. You're always managing uh, tensions uh, uh, in, in difficult circumstances. So there's a kind of tragic kind of aspect to liberalism that was not fully apparent in the
0: 1990s. Joseph Nye, in this post War moment, remember the title of one of his books vividly, it's always stuck with me, Bound to Lead. We've talked a lot about the notion of a US-led liberal international order. We've talked about the upside of it, but we've also talked about a lot of the downsides of it. Is it time in 2021 to rethink liberal international order where we do not start with the assumption of a US leadership or at least US primacy?
1: Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that my whole book that I wrote, uh, A World Safe for Democracy is looking at the ideas, the movements uh, of the, the, the vision of liberal internationalism across centuries that are not tied to it one, or, one or, or another state. So that we can, I, I, in some sense, I'm trying to define liberal internationalism a way, in a way that, that it can be seen as a movement that can be taken up by different peoples and societies at different times. Uh, So uh, it's not an American project, it's a project that comes out of the the modern era of the rise and spread of liberal democracy. So in that sense, I've I've hoped that I've helped set the stage for, for it to be something that South Korea, India, Australia, Canada, Western Europeans, who have always been there in various ways, to, to make it their own and, 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 and so that it's not made in America. It's not made in America for two reasons. One is that America is not as powerful as it used to be and America is, is, is troubled in many ways. It, it has to get its act together. It's got to uh, take care of its own uh, house. Uh, it's got uh, to put, put behind it the Trump uh, 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 debacle. Debacle. So in that sense, the answer is yes. If liberal internationalism is to, to have a future, it's gonna to have to be a more collaborative ensemble effort. And indeed you see that the, 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 the Alliance for Multilateralism, there's 50 countries that have bought a, been, been, been uh, advocating a kind of new era of multilateralism. The most eloquent statement I've heard uh, made for, for a new multilateralism it was by the, the South Korean foreign minister. Um, uh, and so there's lots of different uh, movements afoot, uh, the so-called D10, the Quad in East Asia, which includes India and, and Australia and, and Japan. So there's lots of, 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 of kind of fermentation for, for new alignments, new coalitions. And uh, so all of that is true. But, and this is why on the one hand, on the other hand, on the other hand, I put on my, my hat as a theorist of, the, of world historical moments. And I, 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 I come to the following observation that liberal democracy has had its best moments when, when it's been tied to two things. One is a power concentrated power that wants to see liberal democracy succeed. That's number one. A hegemonic formation, if you will, and secondly, a model of liberal democracy that people find attractive. And so, in the 19th century, uh, uh, Britain, in some sense, uh, had this uh, figured out—that its power, Pax Britannica. Uh, it was an empire on 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 the one hand, but it was a it was supporting a larger world system on the other of openness, trade. Uh, assistance, uh, frameworks for mutual gain. uh, uh, And then it failed because Britain failed, it it declined and liberal democracy of that 19th century sort, a kind of laissez-faire democracy uh, was no longer viable. So the two conditions for a open liberal democratic world order, a powerful state and an attractive model, both of them failed. Today, we are at a similar impasse. Let's, let me just say that what happened after World War II is that you got both of those back. You got a new powerful state and you got a new model, a, a more a embedded liberal model as we were talking about earlier, a social democratic model. And you got a new patron of liberal democracy, the United States. Now we are in a similar impasse such as the interwar period where we, we've, under Trump at least, we don't have a leader that wishes liberal international order well and we have a a kind of flailing america a, a kind of liberal democracy in american hands perhaps in western hands is not doing as well as it used to be so if there is to be another era of liberal international order i do think you're going to have to get a new patron a new powerful state or collection of states that are going to do things to help stabilize and provide assistance to countries trying to stabilize their own democracies. But the problem is Britain handed off that, that task to, to the United States, but who does the United States have to hand it off to? China, no, no, no. China is not gonna be the next America to wish a liberal democracy well. It wants to, uh, to write the obituary of liberal democracy and liberal international order. So uh, there isn't another state to take, take the reins, to take the baton. So it has to be either America, which may not be powerful enough to reestablish itself. And if that's the case, it's going to have to be a, an ensemble of states, a, a coalition of states. And it's gonna to have to be a coalition of states that, that are there to lead in the rebuilding of a new model of liberal democracy so just like the 1920s, we're at a moment of decision where it's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. If liberal democracy and liberal international order are to be rebuilt, it's going to have to take the two things, a, a powerful center of a, a concentration of states that are going to wish liberal democracy well and help, help promote it in one way or another, and a kind of renaissance of liberal democracy. Both are very, very difficult and it's gonna be much more hard to do that than it was in the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s.
0: All right, big finish. (laughs) After this grand tour that you've you've given us, you speak in a world uh, for democracy about a pragmatic reform approach, now where we are in 2021. But we have seen this tension within the promise of a liberal international order that many might have felt excluded or that the United States or possibly the Europeans betrayed leadership through the crude imperial venture. Speaking, I must also say in a United Kingdom, which has cut itself loose from the project, we'll discuss that some other time if you don't mind coming back. How do you convince those who are not in the United States, not necessarily in Western Europe, that they should be part either of a US-led project or of this new coalition? What's what's the basis of the appeal that you make to them? Yeah,
1: that is a great finale. Um, Well, I I think um, the the main basis for an appeal to a reimagined, reconstructed, liberal international order is, uh, in some sense, it's either that or it's uh, doom and debacle. that we are in a world that is going to grow, whether we like it or not, more and more interdependent economically, uh, uh, in terms of economics, in terms of security, violence capability, and in terms of environment. Uh, And think of the 21st century issues, cyber, the cyber world where we can do huge damage to each other, uh, artificial intelligence, the way in which uh, uh, autocratic states that are basically trying to uh, to, re- to, to establish their tyranny over the people are going to be able to use uh, sort of big data, um, surveillance technology to extinguish civil society. And the, the, what we want, I, I, I don't know about you, I want to be able to have my own religious beliefs, my own uh, political beliefs. I want to be able to speak my mind. Uh, I want to be able to vote for who I want and not be intimidated by a dictatorship, dictator. So we are in a, the fight of a lifetime if you want certain kind of basic values uh, to, to live your life, uh, a, a civil society outside the, the reach of a predatory state. So, so if, if the 21st century is going to create new technologies and forces that make that difficult, we, we have to do it together that the only way to survive the, the great storms of the 21st century are to, to, to tie our rafts together, to manage interdependence cooperatively, uh, and, and to find new international agreements and collective capacities. Uh, there will be another COVID. Uh, hopefully, we're young enough uh, to, to know that in, in our own lifetime, uh, if we live a few more decades, uh, that that this will happen again, and it, it it's going to be uh, yet another moment. Uh, so we should be uh, be building our capacities to 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 uh, to monitor and to respond collectively. What the way in which uh, uh, people live their lives in Africa, in Latin America, and Southeast Asia, are are as important for our well-being if we live in Europe, or we live in Japan. As as, as, as as it will ever be. So we are in a, a, a ever greater connected world, a globalizing world. Again, whether we like it or not, we can't stop it. Uh, we can't reverse gears. We can't put the technologies back in the bottle. So we have, the, the, in some sense, the basic rationale for liberal international order is the alternatives are all even worse. Uh, the, in, the Imperial reconstructing imperial spheres of influence, nationalist islands of, of, of walled societies, it, it's, it's, not, it's not a pretty pretty future. Uh, so I do think the, the ultimate uh, reason to find some kind of path forward, to reimagine, to acknowledge the, the, dang, the dangers, to acknowledge the failures to acknowledge the moral fail failures, to acknowledge the incompletenesses of liberal international order, uh, to, to act with humility, to act with a kind of pragmatic sense that, no, we, we, whether we're Americans or British or French, we don't have the answers any more than anybody else does, that, that it, 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 the answers are gonna come from different people, uh, uh, different countries will give us different different innovations that we can use collectively to to manage our mutual interdependence. New Zealand has something to tell us about COVID. Australia has something to tell us about voting systems in democracies, and on and on and on and on. So democracy, as, as the great political theorist John Dewey said, should be seen as not just simply a system where people vote, but it should be seen as a laboratory, a living laboratory where we solve problems because problems never, never stop coming. Uh, uh, modernity, which is another way of talking about uh, the ever-ending globalization of our modern existence, keeps throwing up problems and we need to have laboratories. We need to have uh, institutions of mutual learning we need our universities to be operating on full throttle because it's, it's not gonna get any better on the demand side. So the supply side has to keep up. And the supply side is really about uh, a collective cooperative organize, organization of our, of our, of our lives uh, to, uh, to solve those problems and to, to, to protect our values.
0: That's a great closing argument or I should say interim argument, because there's so much you've introduced that was also on my list, but we'll have to save that for another time. And I do hope there'll be another time you'll come back and rejoin us to talk further about those challenges. Uh, but for now, uh, with that notion of uh, we hang together or we hang separately, let me, let me thank you, uh, Professor G. John Eikenberry, uh, the author of A World Safer Democracy and many other fine works uh, thanks for your passion. Thanks for your argument. I look forward to it continuing. Uh, let me also thank the good folks at Deep Dive Politics for putting us on air and holding it together. Uh, and let me thank most of all you viewers uh, for joining us on this journey. Remember that uh, Deep Dive Politics can be found at dive underscore politics on Twitter. You can find us on Deep Dive Politics on Facebook and that all of our video cast on YouTube. You can also listen to them on Spotify. But for now, in this 21st century world, this international world, where we hope for a little bit of order and a little bit of progress, let me hope that you all stay safe, stay sane, and be decent to each other. I'm Scott Lucas, and this has been World Unfiltered.